I thought it wise not to press a resolution upon you this morning, friends. It's a season of resolutions, uh, the new year. So I'm not going to do that, but I am going to press upon you a motto text which you may care to adopt for yourself if you wish to do so. And the words of the motto text are found in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, where the Apostle Paul writes that I may obtain him. The heading for this morning's message is a supreme desire. Allow me to just fill in the context of these words in Philippians chapter 3. I'm sure you're familiar with this story. Uh, The Apostle Paul visited the ancient city of Philippi on his second missionary journey about AD 51. He preached the gospel and he planted a church, the first church on the continent of Europe. And The letter that the Apostle wrote to these friends about ten years later, I suppose if you want a general heading for the contents, then it is the all-sufficiency of Christ. The all-sufficiency of Christ. Uh, For example, we read in chapter 1 that Christ is the believer's life. The Apostle says himself, for me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. Christ is at the very center of my being, at the center of my life. He is my top priority. In chapter 2, we read that Christ is a believer's mind. Let this mind, the mind of Christ, be also in you. In chapter 3 here, as we're looking at it, then the, it, the believers, uh, it is the believer's goal, that Christ is the believer's goal. That's the one we are aiming towards and working towards. And then in chapter 4, then Christ is the believer's strength. For the apostle writes, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. The apostle Paul, as you know, was converted on the road to Damascus. And so why, curiously, does Paul write here that I may know him, that I may know Christ? Paul, you've known Christ for 30 years. You've been an apostle. You've been a preacher. You've been a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And yet, towards your old age, you are crying out, Your supreme desire, it would appear, is that I may know Christ. You see, we have to be careful, brothers and sisters, because we are part of a Christian religion known as Christianity. But let's not overlook Christ, because Christ is meant to be our first love. Christ is meant to be the one whom we worship and adore as the eternal son of the living God. Yes, we may exercise religious duties. We may be very busy in serving the church and the fellowship and indeed Christ and his cause. We may be very active in the cause of the gospel. But do we need to ask of Paul? that I may know Christ. You, friends, if you attend this church regularly, you will know many of the friends here. 
And so just think of one person and you know that brother or sister in Christ. When I say you know them, you know certain facts about them. You know their name. You may know their address. If they're still in employment, you perhaps know where their place of work. You perhaps know something about their family. If they have children or a husband and wife or siblings. So you know facts about them. And so the Christian knows facts about Jesus Christ. We're well informed if we read our Bibles. We know the place where Jesus was born. We know that he was a carpenter's son in Nazareth. We know that he was an inspired preacher and teacher of the divine word. We know that he was a miracle worker. We know that he was betrayed by one of his own. We know that he was arrested, that he underwent a mock trial, that he was falsely accused, that he was nailed to a cross of wood. We know that on the third day he rose again and that he has ascended back to heaven. We know that currently he is in that glorified state. We know that he is on tiptoe waiting to return to this earth for his people, his blood-bought people. So we know many facts about Christ. And so did the Apostle Paul. And here from verse 4 in our chapter through to verse 6, Paul outlines seven spiritual advantages which he enjoyed. Four of these he inherited and three of these were through personal choice and conviction. And I just tripped through these ever so briefly as headings. Paul is speaking about people having confidence in the flesh, verse 4, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. Notice, please, friends, those first four advantages that he inherited. Verse 5, he was circumcised the eighth day, according to the law. He was of the stock of Israel. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, a favored tribe. And he was a thoroughgoing Jew. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And then notice the three advantages from his personal choice and conviction. He was, as touching the law, a Pharisee. The strictest sect amongst the Jews. He was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, he was very zealous about his religion. Even to persecuting the church of Christ and touching the righteousness which is in the law he was blameless he was perfect in his own estimation so there we have in effect Paul's autobiography or his personal testimony and I suppose we could suggest he was a man religiously who would score 100% he would pass the exam with honours. No doubt about it. And yet, he says to us at verse 7, but what things were gained to me, my religious pedigree, my advantages, my attainments, those I counted loss for Christ. He's looking back across his life. He's thinking back to pre-conversion days. And that's why he's given us this description of himself. 
But now he rejoices because he is in Christ Jesus. Because he's being called to preach the gospel and to serve the Lord. Friend, do you have a personal testimony? May you look back to earlier days when you could not consider yourself to be a Christian person. You may have felt yourself a religious person. You may have attended a place of worship. You may have sung hymns and said your prayers. But had you experienced conversion? Is Christ real to you in your experience? Is he at the very center of your life? I trust he is. Verse 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss, not only those religious advantages and his Jewish pedigree, he counted everything in his life but loss. For the knowledge of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. You see, all our good works and all our efforts and all our merits in the sight of God, count as loss in terms of the spiritual balance sheet. Because here we're reading words of gain and loss. I don't quite agree with our friend the authorised version here. At the end of verse 8, they have it, they've translated it, or two words I don't agree with, and do count them but dung, I think the better word there is refuse, that I may win Christ, And the better word there, I think, is gain. And you'll find that appears in most other versions. Because it's about a balance sheet. It's about, on the one side, Paul's assets, all that we've been referring to. And it's about, on the other side, his liabilities. But now there's been an exchange. Because all those assets and advantages stand for nothing. They've become liabilities. He counts them but loss because he desires to win Christ. Verse 9, and being found in him not having mine own righteousness which is of the law. And notice in verse 8 that in the middle of the verse the apostle writes, Christ Jesus my Lord. I want to just pause on that for a moment. Christ Jesus my Lord. Significant Names and titles. Christ, the anointed one of God. Christ, the name of the promised Messiah of ancient prophecy. So he is Christ, the second person in the eternal Godhead, the Son of God. Jesus, his human name. His name means he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus of Nazareth. This is the one to whom we know so many facts about him, which are recorded for us in Holy Scripture. And the Apostle Paul cannot help himself, really, because he writes, Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because Paul is now living under a new authority. He's under new management. He's no longer living for this world but rather is living under the authority and direction of his master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, beautiful, wonderful, matchless name of our Savior, if we confess that Jesus Christ is our Lord. 
And so we see here how we can bring together those, those headings for these chapters in Philippians. Christ Jesus, my Lord, my life, my mind, my goal, my strength, my all. Verse 10, that I may know Christ. This is really speaking of our close relationship with him. We sometimes refer to this very beautifully as our union with Christ because we are so closely related to him in this living and this working relationship with him. And the Apostle Paul is not just thinking of past experiences. He is thinking of past experiences, but this is a continuing present experience for you and I, Christian friend, today and tomorrow and throughout the days of this coming week and beyond, that we are privileged people. We're privileged people for many reasons, but not least because we, are, we enjoy union with Christ. And that is precious, and that is special. This word here, that I may know him, uh, the appropriate word, the similar word, knowledge, is interesting in the Hebrew when you find that word knowledge in terms of knowledge of God, it means to revere Jehovah. Knowledge of God. To acknowledge who God is, our creator and our redeemer. That he is God. That he always has been God. That he is God. He always will be God into eternity. And so in terms of knowledge... There are two branches. There's what I call mind knowledge and there's heart knowledge. And both are important, especially to us as Christian people. So we have mind knowledge that I may know Christ. We know many facts about him, as I mentioned earlier. But we are called to also develop our heart knowledge to, as it were, put into gear our deepest affections, our love toward Christ, toward the Savior, and to increasingly develop that love relationship. We sang in the second hymn, I think it was, more of his love who died for me. It's as if someone has said of Paul, he was wrapped up in Christ He was completely taken over by Christ because Christ meant so much to him personally. Because Christ had developed, demonstrated to the apostle over 30 years of Christ's faithfulness and of his tender love and of his mercy and of his forgiveness and of his power and of his help and of his strength. How are we to cultivate this, friends? Well, again, I just give you headings by our attendance in public worship on the Lord's Day when we feed our never-dying souls, when we draw close to the Lord, when we fellowship with his people. In acts of kindness, when we have a forgiving spirit, when we demonstrate our love to the brethren and we demonstrate our love to the unsaved, 
and we demonstrate our love even to our enemies. This is Christ-like behavior. May this mind of Christ also be in you. When we are thankful, when we express our gratitude to God for his kindness and his goodness to us, when we study the word and when we pray, when we redeem the time, when we endeavor to be effective witness bearers to Christ, when we are in the word and we discover glimpses, pictures of Christ, when we meditate upon his two natures, divine and human, when we think about his attributes and his works, his shame and his glory, like the psalmist of old David, when we see, when we behold the beauty of the King. When we walk with Christ through the four gospel narratives, when we notice his demeanor, his compassion, his long-suffering, his forgiveness, his kindness, his love, find something of this back in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Just allow me to please read you a few verses from Ephesians chapter 3. And this is also a prayer, of course. Let's weave these words into this supreme desire in Philippians 3 verse 10, that I may know Christ. And here we read verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Notice that word. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints the dimensions of his love, and to know that love of Christ which passes knowledge, that ye might be filled with the, with the fullness of God. Back to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. All oh, this love of Christ that we may experience it firsthand. It's not a theory. It's not just something interesting to read about in a book. This is reality. This is authentic Christianity. It's satisfying knowledge. Because we read of one, we're associated with one who said, I am the bread of life. And those who feed upon me shall never hunger. And neither shall they ever thirst. It's satisfying knowledge. It's exciting knowledge that I may know him more and more. I have the picture uh, of a mountaineer, because I've done a little bit of climbing in my earlier life. And so when you're climbing a fell in the Lake District or wherever, you're climbing up and you reach the summit and you enjoy a lovely view. And then you realize you haven't reached the summit because there's more. There's another peak ahead of you and another And you see, you keep on climbing. And it takes much exertion and labor. And so it is with this motto text of Paul's that I may know Christ. That I may climb higher and higher, as it were, to reach him. And of course we shall do when we pass out of this world and when we enter into heaven's glory and bliss, we shall reach him, and we shall see him as he is, and we shall be fully and perfectly like him.
But that's the not yet. For now, we need to work at these things, don't we, friends? You see, I believe that this life is meant to be enjoyed. I'm sorry when Christians get a bad press and people comment and say they're a miserable lot that attend that church. Because it's not true. Or it should not be true of us. Because we ought to be a joyful people. And so as we read, man born of woman is of a few days. Oh, surely we can do better than that as believers in Christ. Surely we can do better than just stumbling along from day to day and trying to get through each day as best we can. Oh no, we are called to live the triumphant life, the victorious life. Because notice what follows. Verse 10, that I may know Christ and that I may know the power of his resurrection. That word power there in the original is dynamis, dynamite. It's an explosive power. It's an almighty power. And the apostle, his supreme desire, that he may know something of that power. You see, what's following now in verse 10 is experiential knowledge. Not just book knowledge, not just head knowledge, but rather heart knowledge and experiential knowledge of Christ. Because we have experienced the power of his resurrection because before we were converted, we were dead. We were alive physically, I hope, I trust, but spiritually, we were dead. And by his power, he has made us come alive and granted us newness of life, spiritual life, eternal life, abundant life. A powerful life. And it's as if Paul is thinking to himself as he's penning these words. Christ Jesus my Lord. I long for an increase in your power supply. I long to be increasingly filled with the power of your Holy Spirit. I know that through the power of your resurrection... Two outflows of that, at least. First, that I am now justified by faith in Christ alone, justification. And second, that through the resurrection and through the Lord saying to Christ, you have completed your work that I sent you to do. Now I am going to send through you the Holy Spirit into your people And they will experience the work of sanctification, preparing them for heaven. And so this dynamite, if we pray for help, it will enable us to destroy the residue of sin in our life. And it will put us on the road to holiness, the path of holiness. And... An inevitable result of asking for the power of his resurrection will be what follows next in our text. The fellowship of his sufferings. And Paul personally could speak about this from his own wide experience of 30 years of following Christ. 
because Paul had suffered, as we well know. Turn up 2 Corinthians chapter 12 for a a catalogue of his sufferings. Paul had suffered much, and it would seem to be that there is a close affinity between Christ's suffering and his people's sufferings. Because do we not suffer as Christ's people to a lesser or to a greater extent? It seems to be the lot of his people. The apostle writes in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 24. Writing to the believers in the church at Colossae, he says, Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and just hear this, friends, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. The apostle recognized that he was suffering for Christ. He was suffering for Christ's people in the church at Colossae. But he had entered into that fellowship, koinonia, partnership, that's what the word means, that close communion with Christ in his sufferings. Not suggesting, of course, that the work of atonement fell short, not for one moment. It was a complete and a final work of atonement on Calvary's cross. But we are suggesting that if we are to move towards spiritual perfection, if we are to become more like Christ, then undoubtedly we shall suffer for his name's sake and for the cause of the gospel. That I may know Christ, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, and be made conformable unto his death. I find that in our authorized version a little bit cumbersome, being made like him in his death. We could express it in that way. Being made like him in his death. What does that mean? It means that we are called to be dead to sin and the guilt of sin. We are called to be dead to selfishness. One of the chief characteristics of a person who remains unregenerate And this was certainly true of me before I became a Christian. So I'm not judging others with a different standard. The characteristic is selfishness. People live for themselves outside of Christ. Their lives are centered on self. What they can gain, their ambitions, their priorities. It's about me. But now as a believer, it's not about me, it's about him. It's about Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so we are to be made like him in his death. We're back to union with Christ here. And I think we're speaking here about his people taking on representatively his acts. Not literally, please do not misunderstand me here. A better word might be positionally. Because we have died with him. We have been raised with him. We shall reign with him. Not literally, but positionally. 
And so the Apostle Paul is seeking to go beyond his present experience with this supreme desire that I may obtain Christ. I'm just coming to conclusion by reading a familiar part of narrative from Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. We're again back in the home at Bethany, the home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Luke chapter 10 and verse 38. Now it came to pass as they went, that's Jesus and his disciples, that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. She had a sister called Mary which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Here we read of Mary doing something wonderful and beautiful. You can almost imagine the picture in your mind, can't you? This beautiful picture of this dear lady, this Jewish woman with her sister Martha preparing the meal and scurrying about, her brother perhaps somewhere around Lazarus. And what is Mary doing? She simply sat at Jesus' feet. And why is she sitting at his feet? Because she's listening to him. She's hearing his word. And she's commended at verse 42, one thing is needful, and Mary have chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Christian friend, you may know the doctrines. I trust you do. Read the doctrines. Read books about Christian doctrine. Be familiar with those doctrines. You may be uh, very uh, much about the Lord's work in much activity in serving him. You may be exercising your religious duties to the full. But let's not overlook that beyond all our efforts, our human efforts, our activities and so forth, surely our supreme desire is that I may know Christ and that I may know him fully and completely. I told you earlier about, imagine one of the brothers or sisters here that you know and you know facts about them, as we said. But do you really know that brother or sister in Christ? Do you know what hurts them inside? Do you know the burden they're currently carrying? Do you know a a severe trial that they may be experiencing? Do you really know that person through and through? Probably not. But if you are to know that person more and more, you will need to spend time with them, quality time with them. You need to converse with them, to listen to them, to speak with them. And then you will gain your knowledge of that person. And that's what we are called to do in terms of knowing Christ. The apostle continues in here. It's not my remit to to speak about this morning. But he speaks about reaching, pressing forward toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There's always room for improvement in the way of discipleship. We never attain fully until we reach heaven. So again, I just offer this to you, friends. If you wish to adopt it, that's for you to decide. But a motto text for the new year, that I may know Christ, our supreme desire. Amen.